Welcome to The Summit Club, a weekly podcast series where I uncover the stories, the strategies, the pain and the elation behind the most highly performant people on earth. Summit Club is based on one simple idea, that in the climb of life, there is no summit. Join me as we interview the very best performers across all human endeavors, as we uncover the tools and templates that they use to maximize their potential in their efforts to get to the summit. My guest today is Greg Norman Jr., based out of West Palm Beach, Florida. He's a professional wakeboarder, seasoned entrepreneur as the founder and CEO of Shark Wake Park, and currently is the CEO of Web3 tech startup Europa Labs. We first met Greg earlier this year in London at the inaugural round of the Live Golf Tour, a tour whose chairman is Greg's father, Hall of Fame golfer, aka the great white shark, Greg Norman. Greg has recently been at the forefront of the explosion of NFT technology and continues to pioneer solutions within Web3 for consumer brands with Europa Labs. Greg Norman Jr., welcome to the Summit Club. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here, buddy. Dude, it's been... I think like six months now since we first met at the first uh, first live golf round, and um, I mean we we were having a couple of beers together, which is always a nice way to meet people. Yeah, you know we we got chatting together about a year ago, didn't we? At yeah. the end of twenty twenty one, about the NFT space, about how you're entering the space, being a what you're doing and watching your growth has been awesome to see as well, buddy. You did uh, what was right about producing correctly, putting good content out there, um, putting your head down and grinding through this bear market. It's, it's fun to see uh, your development service. Thanks, man. Are you surprised we're both still here? No, not at all. It's I think uh, folks that fully understand for the right reasons know that we are exceptionally early still in the space. I came back from Miami, right? Uh, during Art Basel. And Art Basel is typically one of the largest art events in the United States, if not the world, and also one of the largest events in Miami. And it was overrun with Web3 enthusiasts, whether it be building for art, building for the tech, building because they're enthusiasts about the tech, a fan about the tech. And the vibes down there, regardless of how bad this bear market is, was phenomenal. And the people that are here right now are here for the right reasons, because we do see that this technology will be fundamental on changing the interactions between consumer-facing brands, sports organizations, IPs, artists, and how they interact with their fans and customer base on a really close, connected level that is a fully evolved iteration of Web2. Uh, so I think I am not surprised that you're here because whenever we have a conversation about this, there's no bullshit about you. It's, you're a very straight up forward-thinking guy that sees this as a very good opportunity to take what we all had in the past apply our past skill sets and infrastructure and, and relationships and networks into something that's very new, innovative, and frankly, fun as hell to be a part of. It's crazy that you say that because I was kind of jealous. Uh, I was my, this time last year, my plan. Uh, so my first video that I made on web three was 14th of December. So just under a year, it's the 6th of December today that we're filming this. And my first video was on the announcement that artifact had been acquired by Nike. And I was like, yeah. it had just had happened. Our Basel had been, I think, the week before. And I was like, this time next year, I am going to be there. And guess what? Didn't fucking make it. And that was kind of gutting because I saw everyone being like, the vibes were insane. Everyone was so happy and kind of seeing each other. And 
essentially the people that were still here were still having fun. And I, I really do know what that fun was like because I felt it at NFT London and NFT NYC, where I had the most fun kind of business corporate week. I mean, I couldn't even call it that because it was just, it was, it was, it was crazy uh, in, in New York. Uh, back in June. And yeah, I'm I'm not surprised we're here. I think that we had the right intentions. We still have the right intentions. We just we just see this as a tech solution that is going to make people's lives ha better, make people have more fun experiences. And uh, yeah, we'll get into that a little bit later on what exactly you're doing. But my first question to you, dude, is that you've got a lot going on. What does an average day of the life look like for Greg Norman Jr.? Well, it, it depends a lot because of travel and conferences and meetings and life. So a typical day would be wake up around 5.30 or 6, uh, get to the gym, try to get a workout. If there's a good swell, try to go for a surf to be able to start the day off correctly. So I find if I don't get a workout in or don't get a surf in, there's no way I could do it later in the evening because I'm just absolutely drained by the end of the day. Uh, and I think it's a good time not just, you know, for my body to, you know, figure out how to perform better, but also for my mind, uh, really set it, uh, the tone for the day. And the only time I really have to sit and think is when I'm either in the water or in the gym. So, um, that's the time for me to be able to connect the dots about what's happening for the day and, uh, process it and be able to create a plan, uh, get on my first meetings around six, uh, oh, sorry, eight o'clock. Those are with my developers. We do stand-up meetings for uh, the tech, the platform, for uh, our client relationships, and be able to build out a solid game plan for the day. And then for the week, if it's a Monday for the week, is throughout the day, it's kind of just stand-ups about where everyone's progressing. And then uh, that usually lasts until 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then the rest of the day is for client relationship calls, uh, develop uh demonstrations of the product uh try to scale to new clients uh it really depends on how many we can get set up and then finally between five to seven is uh time to reflect and take notes and probably write uh the only way i could really consolidate my day is to actually sit in quiet and just type out everything and um and then by 7 30 i gotta spend time with my wife so i try to shut everything down and um to give her about two hours it's not enough to be honest and then by 9 30 10 30 i read a little bit try to get on twitter try to get updated on the course of the day macro micro and then try to shut off or reset well you just made life sound so easy so you you made it sound way too easy man is that is not... that is that the, is that the secret <laughs> you just have to you just have to just have an incredibly regimented life where you're you're starting things off by getting in the water getting in the gym i mean we know all these secrets but like your life can't be can't be that easy man surely not it's not tom i mean it, it's a plan to try to follow but it definitely is fluid <laughs> like for this week last week art basil it's absolutely insane down there uh and i i'm not a partier i don't go out at night i don't I don't go to clubs. I don't go to bars, maybe go to dinner and a drink afterwards to network, but it, they're long days. So being able to fit a gym session in the morning is impossible. So yeah. if I can make it great, if I can't, I got to be fluid with it and be able to uh, adapt on the fly. But mate, like I would say it's 75% hit rate, maybe six, 65% hit rate on that schedule. So 
It's just there's, a way well, to, there's a, there's a, to keep me accountable. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lesson to learn there because I like I can uh, I can completely relate to that. Like with all intentions, trying to have a day where you're like, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and. I think, yeah, the point is, is that it's the, I mean, whatever, if it's 75, 25, the 80, 20 principle, like um, trying to have, at least for me, that's kind of a rule that I always go back to, whether it's my diet, whether it's working out, like it seemingly does fit for a lot of things. Um, but yeah, give me, give me some tips on how you deal with all the travel, because I, I've, I've kind of seen your schedule on social media for this last year. Um, basically every other week you're in a different, different place, right? How do you deal with that? I ask my dad the same question all the time, even today. And I've been doing it for 37 years alongside of it. And my dad is exceptionally good at compartmentalizing and being able to have structure in his day. And that's why I try to emulate what he's doing, although his is flipped. So he'll start work at seven o'clock in the morning, go all the way until four, and then shut it off at 4.30, get in the gym from 4.30 to 6.30 to have that time for himself to be able to reflect on the day compartmentalize and be able to think about what the hell took place during the day uh so i watched him being able to do that throughout his golf career and then business career and he had to be structured had to be you know when he was practicing golf it was fully regimented golf structured day then when he started implementing business on top of that he had to learn how to manage his golf practice and then also manage his business so the only way that could possibly happen is to have a plan in place beforehand uh so uh, the travel side you just get used to it it ends up being like a skill you learn over time um jet lag is difficult but you end up getting used to it learn how to figure out for yourself because everyone figure out different things for themselves for me it's it's being in the sun and working out so going for a run as soon as i land um and then just pushing through i guess man like you will be tired. Most of those folks like my dad and other executives or athletes, they do get tired, very tired. And uh, learning how to push that aside, being able to put on a face, if you will, to be able to make sure no one knows you're tired, but be able to think about and be able to analyze what is going on with your day is extremely important because it ends up being like a fog. So if you don't take the time to be able to either take notes during the day or be able to take notes after the day to be able to, uh, you know, structure it all and put it in a box, then you will forget. And most people in those situations who are way busier and way more important than me, they do that. They, they try to consolidate everything on paper or on writing or some way. So at the end of the day, they can come back and reflect on it or else they do forget. People do forget. And so, uh, you just got to learn how to keep up the energy and honestly being able to remember all the shit that happens in a day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like this is one for the nerds then. So you're talking about writing stuff down. Um, give me the details. Like how, where are you writing stuff down? Is it like, is it like one of these or is it like, uh, like a note taking app? Give us something for the kind of the dweebs out there. How are you actually getting yeah. these thoughts down? Um, everyone's different from my talk to myself. I use Evernote because that's it interoperates between all my platforms. So from my phone, just jot it down. It goes on my computer that can carry on that that uh, thread afterwards. Uh, for my dad, he is handwritten Manila folder, like one after another, just note after note. Then for my brother-in-law, he's Drew Rosenhaus. He's a very successful NFL agent. Uh, he has over a hundred clients. He does it in his uh, contacts in his phone. So if he has a client. 
he'll have a thread underneath there or he'll just jot notes throughout the day or after the meeting. So then he'll review that after that meeting and then before his next meeting with them so he could re-spark his memory about what that last wow. conversation was. So like, a guy like Drew, he is arguably one of the hardest working people on the planet I've ever met. And so he has to deal with a lot of nuance between all his different athletes. And um, he has to take notes. He has to take notes. So like my dad, he's got Live Golf as CEO and commissioner and then also his operating companies. He has to take notes because there's just no way a human being can remember all the nuance and all details of what happens in the day. So for me, Evernote, for him, piece of paper, for Drew, his phone. Yeah, I mean, I think that like I've never heard that. I've never heard the note taking within a contacts, which like is essentially just a CRM, but like a personal CRM, which is yeah, incredible. Like I absolutely love that. Like, um, so I think for anyone who's in, especially like client relationships, sales roles, um, where there's account management roles, I could totally see that as being like a super valuable, valuable tool. Like, absolutely. Yeah, love a big that. tip to learn from Drew is that he'll put the little detail in there, like is his client's son's best friend's name and then be able to have that in there and be able to revert back to it during conversations a week or two later. It just shows how much you care about that. And because you do care about it and your client or your, the person you're, you're trying to sell them to a new product to or service to, if they, if you could show that level of detail and care, and it's not hard for anyone to do because of those little note-taking tips, it, it creates a better connection between the two and that really is everything in this world is how you connect with someone and how you keep up that relationship no matter what you're doing yeah man um i absolutely love that so one of my uh big questions that i wanted to ask you today was we've kind of touched on it a little bit which is around the the link and kind of the comparisons and similarities between business and golf and we talked about how uh sorry business and sports specifically and how if you look at a lot of sports sportsmen sportswomen and professional athletes uh you find uh and it's very clear i mean your dad's a great example yourself is a great example of someone uh people who have gone into business and yeah i kind of wondered if you have any thoughts on why that is um is there some similarities that you see why do you think that that we see that super commonly yeah i i think the fundamental nature of being an athlete or an entrepreneur or in sales or marketing is all the same. It's you got to put the time in, you got to put the reps in, you got to have skill, but you also got to have talent, uh, talent. You can't teach uh, skill. You can teach. So if you don't have exceptional talent or, you know, naturally born given talent, you have to work on that skill daily. So whether it be on the range for six, seven hours a day, putting for six, seven hours a day, same thing as honing your craft in sales or marketing is being there, showing up. You're going to have really bad days and you're going to have really good days. The bad days will probably outweigh the good days, but just learning from that, being able to figure out how you can iterate on yourself, whether it be on your golf swing, whether it be on your sales tactics, whether it be how you manage people, uh, it's, it's, it's the same is you got to be there. You got to show up. You got to do uh, I do think business is harder than sport, though, although um, because you deal with so many different uh, mentalities, characters, egos, same thing as sport, though, I guess. But um, I do think this. So, like I said, the failure is a very high rate in sport. Failure is very high rate in, in business. 
So it's learning how to deal with failure and learning how to dust yourself off and go again and learning how your ego is going to get very, very bruised. And you're going to have to just learn to deal with it because everyone in sport is going to fail and everyone in business is going to fail from time to time. And uh, just deal with it. <laughs> just, just carry on. <laughs> and, and of course, like you're, you're an athlete, you're going to have a lot of people looking at you who are going to be aware of your failure. And the same thing with business. A lot of people are going to be looking at you and aware of your failure. So deal with it. Honestly, just deal with it. People are going, you're going to feel shitty at times. You're going to feel alone at times. Got to deal with it. Do you think there's an element of you uh, being a professional athlete and experiencing that as an athlete? Do you think it prepared you for business? Whereas in you kind of knew, okay, I've failed before. Um, did you know failure in business? I mean, I'm, I can only guess that seeing with your dad entering the business world relatively early, seeing potential failures happening. Tell us a little bit about like you, you know, seeing that as an early, like when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you can never feel it from watching someone else go through it, no matter how close you are to them and how much you love them until it's on you. And you learn how that you're going to fundamentally react to those failures or how you're going to dust yourself off. Um, you're just going to have to go through the motions and you could use mentorships to be able to help compartmentalize and figure out how they dealt with it. But until you go through it, it's, it's you're all alone. It really is that, that case. So watching my dad go through it for sure. Like, man, he was part of some of the biggest public failures ever. I mean, that's just the truth of it. How he handled the masters. Uh, people still rag on him for how he handled masters and how he, he lost the masters, but they, they'd rather hone in on that than his wins. And those are just the fud out there. Those are the people that are going to use everything they can to try to push down someone else to try to level themselves up. You're going to have to deal with that. And there's going to have to be um, the hardship that comes along with it for sure. And it's, it is a lonely endeavor. Um, so learning how to be alone, learning how to deal with it, learning how to ask the right questions, not be afraid to ask questions, um, especially on the personal level. Like how, how the hell did you fail at that golf tournament the very next day, use that as a catalyst event to do X, Y, and Z. Um, honestly, you can't describe it. You can't describe it because for everyone it's different. And what happened for my dad is very different from what happened for Drew if he lost a client. Um, he has to deal with that on a daily basis. And it becomes, yeah, no one, everyone can say it's not personal, but of course it's personal. I mean, you're going to take it to heart and you're going to have to learn how to figure it out yourself. So I know that's not really a, a cohesive answer, but it's, the, I think, the truth. Because uh, I've seen a lot of different people go through different sports, different businesses. And it really is everyone has a different way of handling it themselves. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's, them to figure it out right well let's let's spice this up a little bit let's talk about you because this year you are full-time tech entrepreneur you are you are the the tech startup and it's early tell us about what i mean you must be getting close to, it was getting close to the end of the year you must be reflecting i'm sure you are on how this year has gone um and your intentions for next year like have you had any lessons from this year and things that you might be thinking about going into next year like anything like that yeah, so uh, coming from a background developing a business for the last seven years as a 
family entertainment center uh learned a lot from that and then apply, trying to figure out what the difference is between family entertainment center in real life businesses versus software development um so the family entertainment center versus software development every business you got to figure out what your mode is uh so it's not easy for you to get overtaken by a competitor uh software has the ability to be developed and scaled and put out a product really really fast you don't need many barriers of entry to it if you have an idea especially with now with the way the world is with remote work uh the ability to get uh software to help you like a canva like uh even a chat gpl where you could basically have it spawn up code for you you really could do anything you mind comes to right now if you have the uh, right path and the tenacity to go through it uh, versus like a family entertainment center it took me six close to six years of working with government to be able to get approval to go start it i didn't need approval for software right like you could just go but the difference is software is extremely global and everyone can get into the space so that means competition is severe luckily i think this fundamentally about web3 we are so new everyone is working with each other it's not a competition right now because we have to grow the pie we can't be thinking about trying to take pieces of the little pie or little slices of the pie um what what a another dev shop does or what another ticketing provider does or whatever another loyalty platform does is good for the entire space because it means we're onboarding more people into it because there is a the world's god awfully big with a lot of different brands a lot of different artists a lot of different ips where if it just it just shows that the platform shows that the technology can be implemented correctly so so I, I the one thing big difference really big difference is is that is that it's constantly on you have to be constantly on software um people you're i mean if you're building a new product and you put it out to market it, it you probably haven't thought about everything that is going to work or not work so if it's in a market you're going to be iterating you're going to be, you're going to be fixing things on the fly you're going to be figuring it out with your team how to make it better and then you got to be figuring it out with your customers how to make it better too because in our world if you connect the digital to physical the physical world the operations teams they just need software to work they don't care how it works they just need it to work because their operations are already so difficult and they have to make sure that it works for their staff but also for their clients so if it's not working for their clients it's not working for the staff members is a pain point a bottleneck for their client for their operations teams they're going to push the software boy no matter how much it, the executive team sees the the ability to implement this new fundamental technology. If it's not working for their on-site staff, they're going to kick it away and give them something that's going to work well for them. Then it's got to work well for the clients. So it's got to be easy to work with. You know, we are in Web three, so there's a lot of pain points for onboarding folks anyway. So the tech has just got to work. So you got to work with the dev team really quickly to be able to iterate, and working with the client really quickly to figure out what works for them. What doesn't work for them and if it doesn't work for them great throw that away build something that does work for them really quickly and that's what's cool about the tech the software side is because you can iterate that on the fly in my family entertainment center for me to go change up an attraction or a feature of my my wake park that takes a long time and a lot of capital to deploy i'd have to go back and say if i want to move a, a cable over here or if i want to build a new attraction over there 
I have to go through six to nine months, maybe 12 months of permitting process in order to do that. So I can't take, I can't take customer feedback and iterate that and evolve it that quickly. Uh, but that's what you can do with software and you can scale that really quickly too, because it's global. So where are you getting these customers are everywhere? Where are you getting these in insights from? Because you, the stuff that you're saying to me sounds, it sounds like it's coming from someone who's been there, done it, been in the trenches for software for a while. That sounds incredibly insightful to be on, to be able to understand that there's the kind of like product side and there's the operational side and there's the client side and that there are implications for getting either of those things wrong. Like where are you getting this from? Uh, luckily I'm in good position where I have experience running operations, on-site operations for a day-to-day -day retail business or attraction. So I know what needs to work. So I have software at Shark Wake Park. I have point sales systems. It's a pain in the ass to be able to find a good POS that does what we need. So most software is either going to be capable of doing everything okay or one thing really good. And you got to decide what you're building is going to be end-to-end -end solution for your customers just to be able to have, you know, a fluid system that works for them and they don't have to think about or something that's hyper-focused on one little niche of it. Um, so being in the space, operating a business as, as we have for six years gave me understanding what the operation side needs. And then from a client side, my customers that come through Shark Wake Park, if they have a shitty onboarding time to sign a waiver, buy a ticket, go through that process, they're not, they're going to start their day pissed off and they got to start their day happy and leave happy. That's the point of it. Like they're going to not going to come back if software made them pissed off in the beginning. So if now we're selling the web three, uh, we got to be very fortunate and work alongside a very famous, complicated and successful business, which is 11 Miami. So they needed, uh, they wanted to launch an NFT. That NFT represents VIP membership that grants access to the club and their ecosystem. So their, their operations are two, three, four o'clock in the morning. People are coming in either drunk or messed up on something else, trying to get into this ultra club. So that already is complicated right there. So now encompass NFTs and Web3 onto it. That's another complication layer that can't, push people away, especially ops teams. They just got to process people through and get them in. And then, the, you know, from the client perspective, from their client's perspective, which is their, their people that come into the club, man, they can't be worrying about their MetaMask and trying to find their emails and trying to like find their pass and all this. It's just got to work easy. Again, it's like two o'clock in the morning. They get, it's just got to work for them. So again, like being able to build a business in real time alongside of them, be able to understand their pain points means we got to figure out iterating the product in real time with one of the most complicated businesses out there, but also a successful business. So got really lucky with that, that, you know, again, the luck part of that much is that, you know, I had a relationship with those people beforehand. You know, we, we, we built up a relationship over years rather than short term. So they wanted to get in space effectively and organically, and they want to figure out a solution that works best for them and their clients. So we got to work together to find that solution it seems like we're getting we're getting close to it and I, i'm really happy with where it is right now and, and the feedback from this week was tremendous because our basil is the biggest time of year and knock on wood it all worked great
Amazing, man. I mean, yeah, like uh, I obviously remember when that when you guys launched a few months ago and I was thinking, damn, yeah, there's there are some potentially some massive technical hurdles for you guys to overcome. And whereabouts are you in that journey? Are you guys you, you say you're close to, to that or have you got the solution? What's uh, where where are you at with that? Well, I don't ever say we, we figured it out because I think you should always be evolving and iterating on the product. You could always get better. Uh, so I think from the feedback that we had, it quickly scanned NFT generated tickets through the door. So operations team just scanning, scanning, scanning. It was verifying if yes or no. Yes, they're a, a verified NFT holder. No, they're not. Yes, has this been passed, not been scanned before? No, it's not. So super, super simple. And then we just integrated Twilio into the automation system. So if you create a pass through the NFT platform, it sends you a text message where you just click a link and it adds it right to your Apple wallet or Google wallet. So it looks and feels like exactly what people have experienced in the past, which is airline tickets or low tier rewards. So there's nothing really hard for people to figure out. It's not like a complete change of their normal day-to-day -day operation or day-to-day -day flow of tickets and check-in and experiences. So um, I think it's gone really well so far. Awesome. All right, I'm going to take it back out and bird's eye view here. You get clearly super passionate about some some of the parts of the business that you're you're growing, some of the challenges. What are your favorite parts? Or what potentially is your favorite part of business? Um, I know for me, like it's it's quite clear that it's it's actually the relationship stuff. It's literally this kind of shit that is the yeah. most exciting part. Um, but at the same time, there's lots of other stuff. That, you know, I'm happy throwing my headphones on and just thrashing out some work with no interruption for a few hours. What about you? I got to I got to uh, echo that. That's a pretty good one. Um, I also think how because everything's so new, everyone in this industry is figuring things out in real time and experimenting in real time, whether it be uh, anybody, literally anybody, even Yuga is experimenting in real time right now. Not, uh, Artifact, Nike, I mean, okay, let's let's point on that for a second. Artifact and Nike. All right, so they just got a bunch of fun thrown out there at them because they announced that their shoes can only be sent within the United States only and after people minted the NFT, right? Here is what everyone needs to know about this. Nike is gigantic, and that means they have a serious amount of bureaucracy. They need bureaucracy in order to function as they do because they are so big. In that circumstance, the what happens in a division of Nike like Artifact, even though it's producing a lot of revenue for them, it's still a little piece within the major organization. So for the communication flow that happens between Artifact to Nike in the legal department and back again may not happen as cohesively and fluidly as most people realize it should because we're still doing, dealing with human beings here. Human beings in those organizations have a lot to deal with. And most likely, it will come down to some people will either screw up or not screw up. It just didn't work out correctly as they thought. So my brother-in-law, he's the CEO of our company. He has, a great, he has a great saying, we're only as good as our contracts. And that's a big part about it. And you have to make sure the I's are dotted and T's are crossed before you do anything. And even if you do that, someone somewhere who isn't even attached to it or close to it will probably see something that probably can't happen until it's too late. And 
shit is going to happen that way. Uh, anytime you're dealing with major conglomerates like that, it's so nuanced, so complicated, so many moving parts, so many human beings have to check off on it and sign the boxes before anything can go live. Most likely somewhere, even when they're that professional and that polished, something's going to go wrong. Just like we talked about before, no matter how good you are as an athlete, no matter how good you are as an entrepreneur, no matter how big your company is, no matter how big your organization is, something is going to go wrong sometimes. And I think because of how new we are in the NFT space and how connected we are to the brand, like, sure, you buy a product. It is a product. It's not an investment, especially here in the United States. You're going to have to understand that sometimes, somewhere, things are going to go wrong. Like, it happens in every industry. So. Unfortunately, it happened to Artifact and Nike, and it's going to be compounded because they're such a big brand. More people are going to talk about it and be pissed off about it because they expect it to be perfect 100% of the time, but it never will be. Yeah. So you just got to you know, understand that Nike and Artifact are there for the long haul, and they're going to do everything they can to rectify it and fix it. I'm sure they will. I don't know if this is true or not. I would just assume if I was in that position, they're going to be scrambling to fix it and make it better. Because, again, this is so new for them, too. As I said earlier, everyone's learning on the fly. So how does a big brand like Nike then be able to figure out how their products can flow back and forth? And then they have third-party legacy issues that I don't know about that they probably have to deal with, whether it be um, licensing clauses, uh, whatever, man. Like it, it's There's so much complication and nuance and history behind conglomerates like that that is nearly impossible to be able to make sure everything's always perfect all the time. So um, that's so to bring it back. Sorry. It's, it's that, it's that people are learning about this daily. People are trying to experiment, figure this out daily. And that's what I'm so in love with this industry about because it's pure experimentation uh, between technology and conglomerates and brands that have so much nuance that is, is, the biggest problem to figure out, I could think right now, like how does it all flow and work together correctly? And if we do it, we solve a lot of things. I think we solve that it creates a more transparency, more security for the customer because it's all on chain, uh, creates some more optionality because they could leave the ecosystem they want to by selling their assets. And it gives uh, the brands more opportunity. Like if you, like a Nike situation right here, they had to create a, that shoe first and foremost to see how it works and then but in order to manufacture that at scale requires significant effort and capital so in order for them to shut off their manufacturing line to iterate on a new product and be able to push it through manufacturing that requires them to stop manufacturing other products that are probably producing profit so they have to figure out when they're going to slot that in for development they're going to have to figure out where that capital comes from and where it's going to then flow around because that other product that was producing profit is going to stop profit for the company. So they got to, they got to figure that out that manufacturing flow. Then they got to figure out logistics of it. So the NFT side does solve a big issue for them is would the consumer buy this before we go through all that? And I think we figured out now that the NFT provides that because you have a touch point directly with your community. And then you could also sell the product digitally and then go make it. So then you could know exactly how many you need to produce, you know exactly what the customer wants before you produce it. Uh, so if you could figure all that out, it solves 
solutions on both sides. The brand, because they build off a, a community that's got a direct focus on their products. And then the, the community, the, the fans or the customers of the product have more flexibility and fluidity about what they're going to do and be part of that brand, that ecosystem. Uh, so, so yeah, and it's just it's exciting. Huh? Yeah. So and everything's figuring this out. Again, just amazing insight. And I'm thinking like, how how do you have this insight on like product cycle, supply chains and logistics and uh, all of this stuff that Artifacts and Nike will be having to deal with? And then I'm like, well, this is because you have the intent to work with brands like that. So of course you understand uh, the challenges and the solutions there. I want to take a step uh, away from the Web3 and NFT stuff because I know that, that uh, it will definitely have put some people to sleep as much as it keeps us <laughs> juiced up every day. Um, let's take it back to one of the, probably one of the most, uh, most talked about things in sport this year, uh, apart from the world cup, the, the, the football world cup that's currently happening. It is the, uh, the start of the live golf tour, which I met you at back in June, started in June. And this has been causing literal shockwaves within the golf profession, which, uh, I'll give my kind of perspective before I throw it over to you is that this was a profession and a sport which was overdue some uh, injection of inspiration and innovation. Um, and I know that there was a lot of uh, just a lot of talks around the, uh, to be honest, it was the morality side of things that then gets flipped to, towards the corporate side of things. I think there's a huge lot of misunderstandings. But first up, I just like, you know, this is the first year. I don't think you have any actual part within Live Golf. Is that is that correct? Uh, no, just helping them think through certain aspects of how their business strategy would go. Yeah, so so I would love to know how you think it's gone this year. Um, challenges that you guys have faced are quite obvious, but uh, yeah, I would just like to get your thoughts, kind of reflecting on what's happened this year and looking forward to next year. You guys have huge ambitions, so yeah. Yeah, uh, just a disclaimer, Tom Young is not a paid shill of Live Golf. Okay, <laughs> so he's not doing this. He's asking questions. He was there at the uh, first day as the tournament, not for any reason besides we're being friends. Okay, so Tom, let me ask you, what was your first impression of Centurion and the launch of Live? Yeah, so it was in, uh, that was actually a good disclaimer. I hadn't even considered that. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, in no way, this is a shill. I just love golf. Um, so yeah, I went to, I went and met you there. That was actually just a coincidence. Um, I kind of messaged you before I was like, are you going to go? And you were like, yeah, obviously. So we met and, uh, I'd never been to the Centurion club, uh, was there with a couple of friends. And the truth is, is that we were there on the very first day on the Friday and, or the Thursday, I can't remember which day, I think it was the Thursday. And it was an awesome day out. I've been to loads of golf tournaments, like dozens, uh, some of the biggest courses in the world um been to open championships been to majors been to lots of uh wentworth loads of times loads of tournaments this was a very very different atmosphere there was a lot of controversy going into it leading into it um had an amazing day out uh the players seemed chilled um you know i just i, I it's the small things but you guys to have that as your first event for anyone going into the hospitality event and delivering a product like that we were very impressed and this is I was with people who work in hospitality. Um, we were unimpressed with one thing because we always have to even this out. You guys did not serve full pints. You served cans. And the guys were not happy about that. And uh, yeah, so 
if you if you're if you have any way of improving that for next year that was the only like that was the only thing four pints great feedback great feedback <laughs> yeah, it's, thanks for that man um it's it's been an amazing journey to be uh right alongside my dad watching him go through this uh it's been awesome it's been awesome uh why i say it's awesome because it's a it's the I think it'll go down to one of the biggest disruptions of a legacy organization in history. And it should never have gone that way. This is what people need to understand. Live Golf and the people behind it were already working within the PGA Tour. And all you have to do is look at the Saudi Arabia Invitational 2019. Uh, that was a collaboration between the PIF and Saudi Aramco with the PGA Tour to bring golf to Saudi. Um, and then a lot happened in between there, and then thus Live Golf was born to be able to fix a lot of the fundamental issues behind the legacy organization. And the, the people need to understand the business model of it. It's to build up the franchise value of the players and the brands, which is not the way the PGA Tour does or any other major organization. Well, I should say like NFL, PGA Tour, uh, NBA, and the NFL have a lot of similarities. And uh, the Formula One is the best analogy to look at. Formula One went from zero to one. It didn't make a profit for a very long time. But they built up over time to build those teams to have tremendous value. So then you have the Red Bulls come in. You have the Ferraris come in to sponsor and brand and execute on a their franchise value, their operations. And then Formula One just sets the stage for them to be able to do it. And that's what the Live is doing. So we've flip the script where the players like the Phils, the Dustins, the captains and their players are intrinsically connected to the success of live. So as the players grow their franchise value, their operations, their brand, their business, that brings back to how the ROI returns for live. And that is one day you will see a major organization sponsor or acquire a live golf team that's the core of it and then those players have to work hard to develop their business models around it how to how dustin needs to think about how four aces is now his brand he needs to hire folks to be able to run that brand and execute on just like the red bull formula one team had to do or does right so it if it, it flips the script now the players are intrinsically involved with it. um knowing the insides of the pj tour the pj tour membership they're 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 not connected financially that way. Uh, they're connected through incentivized models like salary, uh, so not salary, uh, paydays from winning prize money, um, sponsorships that are connected to it, PIF, the uh, social media performance side of things. But they're not they don't own equity into it, but now they do, and that is shining a light on how business models should be run. That you need to share and the upside with those folks that are responsible for its development. Just like a, a major tech company. Major tech company shares equity in their development. So folks like engineers are incentivized to build a product better because they're going to be taken care of on the back end because they own equity to it. Same thing for here. Uh, so it's been phenomenal to walk, uh, walk down the course from, from the early days of my dad as he talked about wanting to do this to see him implement it at scale over the course of really 14 months. Um, that's how quick it's been. And so we were supposed to 
supposed to launch the real season in 2025, 2024, but due to the success of the players, how happy they are, um, we're launching in 2024. So 2023, sorry. So this is the launch of the league coming up here, where beforehand it was just beta season. And I said before in this interview, people are figuring things out on the fly. In a startup, you really figure things out on the fly, iterate and grow and develop based upon feedback. And we just went through an insane amount of feedback really quickly to be able to figure out how to grow. And, and most importantly, the folks that were here in the C-suites, the executives, to the on-site staff, to the volunteers, everyone was just so hyper-engaged because they were loving being part of this so much that it was allowed to scale so quickly and be effective as it was because there's so many brilliant, smart people uh, from the upper echelon to on-site, boots on the ground, making sure the, the event went off well, that the players were taken care of, that the caddies were taken care of, that the families were taken care of. And being being around golf for as long as I have and seeing tournaments for as long as I have, here's a little insight that I just absolutely love to see about live versus the tour is that on tour, you would be very much siloed off. You would go to one event, to one event, to one event, go with your 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 family, your coach, your caddy, and just go from one to one to one, not interact with anyone else. This is after every round of golf at Live, everyone from the, the staff members at Live to the players, to the caddies, to the family members, to their friends and family, everyone was congregates back in the clubhouse, has dinner, has a cocktail, has a beer, laughs, pubs, and the energy is so high around that because the only way I could think of it, and this is just from my perspective, because everyone thinks they're, they know they're, they're part of something really unique and special. You would never have that before. After a round on Sunday and live, people would come back to the clubhouse and celebrate whether they won or lost, which is just so fucking cool. <laughs> it's that's such a unique aspect of it that maybe doesn't get enough light, but that thing right there is probably the secret sauce because everyone is really behind this because it's such a, it's so much fun for them but they're also can see how if we all work together, it can really fundamentally change how maybe not just golf, but sport can be done. It's funny because I, to me, that was quite clear. So after a couple of rounds of live, uh, that was the feedback from a lot of the players was that they were just having a fun, um, more relaxed time. That was the, the consistent feedback. It was just like, we're enjoying ourselves. And it feels feels to me as if like the the institution of golf that currently has existed for like decades now they were just there and they were like no golf is this this and this and it is played in this way and that's the end that's the be all and end all and we we make the rules and that is that is it now when i grew up i was desperate to be a professional golfer like that was my thing was that i wanted to be a professional golfer i loved it was obsessed with it and it became clear to me when I was just clearly not good enough that that was never going to be the case. But it's only now when I'm in my 30s and I'm asking you the question of how the fuck do you deal with all this travel as a super busy business entrepreneur and um, former like professional athlete who has grown up around basically a, a father who has every single week been in a different place on earth. And I'm looking there as a 30 year old and being like, do you know what? Like, that must have been so hard, like being away from your family. 
not seeing your children grow up, which is the classic thing that a lot of the live players have said. The feedback is they get to see their family now. And um, yeah, uh, for, for me, it was an incredible experience being able to see you guys uh, bloom at that first stage. Uh, at the moment, it's kind of a an, an interesting period of time because we're going into next year. That'll be would that will this be your first full technical season? Is that the or is that what you're you're calling it? That's like it. the tour season? It's the launch. We're, we're out of beta into the real league. Yeah, launch. cool. And um, yeah, at the moment, there's a lot of stuff in the media around. It's, it feels like a lot of mudslinging. Uh, we have Rory McIlroy who is looking after. He's like the the figurehead of the PGA Tour. And we have your father, who is the commissioner for the Live Golf Tour. And there's a lot of like kind of a lot of like verbals being thrown around. How does how obviously you've been with your dad, like by his side his whole life through his career. Like, how has that been seeing that happen, um, seeing the work that your father has been putting into it, has invested in the game to, to be on the receiving end of some of that type of, uh, you know, uh, of those feelings that get thrown around? Yeah, he, he was well aware that the possibility of the mudslinging and the thud on him was going to be very, very real before he took it on. So he prepared himself for it. You know, every time there is major disruption of a legacy organization, you are going to see that no matter if it's a sport, technology, politics, it doesn't matter. You're going to say the same thing over and over again. So at the end of the day, he's just been putting his head down and just believing in the business model, what he is building with his with his staff around here. and executing on it and putting blinders on to that nonsense because it is nonsense because at the end of the day i don't know how a fan of golf who didn't come to an event and saw it feel it in person didn't have an awesome time and that's what it comes down to they had an awesome time the players had an awesome time and as maybe we saw that before for sure in Ryder cup and president's cups and everything like that but now we have all year every year this is how it is it's for the team and for the players. So the players are taking this extremely seriously, even though they have guarantees, even though they have you know, a gigantic amount of income from it. If they perform well, they're going to make even more money from that. So they're still fundamentally working their asses off every day to win those tournaments, not because of the money. It's not really, shouldn't be that. It's because they're still athletes and they want to win. I mean, their egos are on the line. Like, uh, Lee Westwood took it really hard that he didn't get into the final in, um, where was that? At Rich Harvest. Not Rich Harvest, sorry, in Boston. Yeah, Boston. Um, he got really close. He did. Yeah, very close. He should close. have won that. He took that really hard because they're, they're fucking athletes, man. They yeah. want to win. Doesn't matter. They, they, but now they're winning for something else other than them. Now they're winning for their team. How does this look next year and going forward? Like for me, uh, it has always been clear that this is will be hopefully moving towards like a hybrid where you have people who are on the live tour, they're able to play in, in tour events and PGA tour events or uh, European tour events and potentially vice versa, like might be, might be a challenge, but like, how do you see this actually getting to a, a place where golf can kind of move forward in a, uh, you know, in a more natural way? Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it will be flushed out of the long term. And here's why it's better for golf. And if you go, it's going to come down to majors. So like the masters, right? This is completely my opinion. The masters has a gigantic opportunity here to in fundamentally increase their business proposition for this upcoming one. If they cancel 
the live golf players from getting there. Like Dustin Johnson is a master champion. Phil Mickelson is a master champion. Their their mandate over the years since their inception was if you win a masters, you're invited back to life. So let's just say they cancel Dustin and they cancel their players. That will be a gigantic hit to their business problem. Because if they invite them in, the amount of attention they will get from media, from sponsors, from broadcast rights will be exceptional. So I do not see why they would cancel it because it's going to devalue them if they do. Because it's just better for them. They'll make more money if they invite it. And that's, at the end of the day, what it comes back down to. They have a gigantic organization around them. And they're trying to make profit off of it by hosting the most prestigious event out there, the Masters at Augusta. There's no doubt about it. That was the most prestigious event out there. If they do it, and we're, everyone's waiting to see what they're they're going to say, Opens allow them in. The PGA has allowed them in. We'll see, man. Like All I know is the folks around here are going to keep their head down, still working. No one's going to badmouth anyone on the other side because – why should we? I mean, everything's going well over here. Yeah, good to hear. I mean, we we obviously saw that with, unfortunately, what happened with your father in the St. Andrews Open. So uh, the Open Championship earlier this year, uh, last minute, the RNA rescinded his kind of life, essentially lifetime invite, uh, which I thought was like just absolutely disrespectful um, to, you know, one of the like pioneers of the game. And I thought that was like a super short-sighted moment of weakness from them um yeah what, what were your thoughts that was obviously a really challenging time yeah that was sad to see um i was sad to see him get hurt by that but you know it's the way it went unfortunately um yeah. i'm still waiting for our pnc father son invite we haven't gotten that yet i don't wonder why <laughs> hang on hang on hang on hang on i i mean i last time i spoke to you you said you you have played in it right you used to you you used to play in that do played you... it almost every year. Okay, and so uh, wait, are you saying you haven't? Of course, yes. Is it a PGA Tour event? Is it Champions Tour event? Yeah. Oh, a Champions Tour event. Okay. Um. Yeah. Well, that is that this week or next week? This weekend, I think oh. so. Yeah, this one, the next one. I don't know. Okay, so are you saying that maybe tonight is when you have to dust off the clubs if it's going to happen? And it's like, okay, we're doing this, Dad. We're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Ready to go. So, but we'll, we'll, I'll. We would love to play it if they were got it got an invite, but I don't think we are. <laughs> okay, well, do you know what? If it's not this year, it's definitely going to be next year. I'm absolutely certain of that because we need to see you and you and Dad take down Tiger and Charlie for once and for all. That is the that is what the world is wanting to see. Normans versus the Woods, and um, yeah, we have to see that. We have to see that at least once on the golf course, right? Charlie is a really good kid, man. I really like that kid. Not just he has a great golf swing, but he is a good kid. Yeah, I hope the best for him. Yeah, he looks like an he looks like an incredibly nice kid, um, and obviously like unbelievably talented. And uh, yeah, best of luck to him um, this weekend. Um, but yeah, Greg, thank you so much for spending some time with me, man. And um, yeah, I could obviously talk for you, talk with you for hours, man. I really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Tom. Really appreciate it, man. That was fun. Thank you. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't already done so, hit the like button down below. Make sure to subscribe so that you can learn from the very best that I'm going to be interviewing at the Summit Club. If you didn't know this already, I also have another podcast called The Unorthodox Podcast that I do with my co-founders, Liam and Mark over at Unorthodox. We're a Web3 marketing consultancy. If you want to go check it out, it's quite a lot of fun. If you want to learn a bit more about crypto and everything Web3, 
that's the place to come check it out. We interview some of the most interesting people within Web3 and also executives across some of the biggest brands on the planet. Come and join us. The links are also going to be down below in the description and I'll see you next time.